Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am your host, Shannon Vasconcelos, and this is my first hosting duty of 2024. So happy new year to everyone out there. It's not such a happy new year in my house. I've got a sick kid home from school today, but we did get the positive strep test this morning. So that is my favorite. I love a good strep throat because you can get the antibiotics and they start feeling better almost right away. So I, I hope all the, all the parents out there can uh, can can sympathize with me. It's that strep throat is the best. We're we're all we're all big fans <laughs> of the strep throat over here yeah, comparatively. Just that little bit. Strep throat is the best and remove all it the contacts. <laughs> exactly. Forget the rest of it. <laughs> you can fix it pretty quickly. Um, and I guess the other big thing in my life for the, the past couple of weeks now has been the FAFSA rollout, the the brand new and maybe improved FAFSA. We'll find out in our third segment. We're going to be talking all about that rollout. Uh, in our second segment, we are going to be talking about college visits. And in our first segment, I am joined by my colleague uh, and former admissions officer, I think all over the place, Lewis and Clark, Middlebury, Colorado, uh, Nial Rayleigh. Welcome, Nial. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. I'm so glad to have you, and I'm glad you are equally a fan of strep throat. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> so, Nial, you and I are going to be talking about how to build a college list. And I sometimes wonder when I say the term college list, do people understand exactly what that means. The list of colleges you are going to apply to eventually is what we're talking about. And I think there's something like 4,000 colleges in the, the U.S. So, you know, how are we getting from that number down to a manageable list? How can we decide of those 4,000 colleges, who, which ones are we going to apply to? That's like sort of the general point of our conversation um, today. So to to start, what is the best time to start thinking about building that college list? I think we have students and parents across the spectrum of ages. When is actually the right time to start thinking about that list? Great question. And and well, I'd say that researching colleges itself, right, can and should be a process. And, and it shouldn't mm -hmm. be rushed. Certainly building a college list shouldn't feel rushed. So particularly when you kick off junior year, um, if you are able to do so with a mind to really intentional and in-depth college research, that is a fantastic way to go. If you happen to have started earlier, that's fine too. Uh, but certainly as you're kicking into junior year and perhaps some folks that are listening in right now have juniors and they're sort of halfway through their year already, in which case now is a is an excellent time to, to get serious about, about that research, about really identifying options that might be a good fit for your students. And now's the time. And then in terms of having a list, setting a goal for sort of when that should be largely wrapped up, um, it our recommendation tends to be, you know, as you're ending your junior year at school, um, summer hasn't kicked off yet. If you're able to line it up in a way that 
that you have your list at the end of your school year, you are putting yourself in a really great position to make the most of your summer, switching gears, starting to actually work on your applications themselves, right? You can give yourself the biggest gift you possibly can by doing a lot of your writing for your college applications over the summer. So that's part of why we sort of think along those lines with the timeline. That makes a lot of sense, though. I think it's probably a hard sell to get students to start writing instead of going to the beach over the summer. It is. Um, but <laughs> as it, you know, fall semester starts as a senior and you are put in a hundred different directions. Yes. And on top of everything else, you have your college essays and your applications to think yeah. about. And, um, you know, we've worked with so many students that have been able to really be so much more intentional about about having several drafts of their main college essays, so on and so forth, and, yeah. and feel really good about how they're positioning themselves in their applications by giving them the time that they already do have. Yeah. Um, and in the summer, of course, you land up having a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. yeah. And you certainly, I think senior year can be stressful enough. You don't want to go into senior year still trying to figure out where you're applying. If you can nail that list down mm-hmm. beforehand, I think that just you'll be happier in the end. You'll thank yourself. Your future self will thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So how do you actually get started on that reason? What, what is the first step in, in building that college list? Yeah. And, and the first thing I would do, I, I wouldn't even start by thinking about individual colleges. I would think about yourself, right? I would sit down, find a notebook or an, open an Excel page and list out every factor that you can think of that you might feel is even remotely important for you to have in the college environment. And try to be as inclusive and long form as possible as you list these out, right? It could be availability of certain majors of geography and setting. It could be the size of the campus, the size of the classroom setting, the culture, uh, diversity on campus, dining options, whatever it is, right? Um, Let's say have a goal of having 30 things on that list, right? And once you're done listing those out, really reflect on them and try to order them in in order of priority for yourself, right? So this is a chance for you to go through an exercise that can be really clarifying for yourself as to what's important without thinking through the lens of individual colleges yeah. just yet, even at that point. So, so that might be a really great starting point. And that's when you sort of can then launch into the exploration of colleges. And Serena is going to talk about um, a little bit of it when in terms of sort of how to make the most of a visit to a campus. But you might also be able to do a ton of research online. There's incredible tools available to you to do research online college websites. Colleges also have a lot of online engagement opportunities nowadays, particularly post the pandemic. You can register for things that happen online. So um, that's that's it. That's a sort of next step is to begin that research process. And perhaps one thing that you can do, right, is consider in your area, in your immediate vicinity as well, what are the colleges that surround me and how do I begin to expose myself to the variety of what's out there? Right. So, for instance, let's say that you live in, in Boston, right? And um, it's it's not necessarily about oh, I'm, I'm going to visit Wellesley or learn about Wellesley so that I can decide whether to apply to Wellesley or not. But instead, it can then be, what is it like to be at a small liberal arts college that happens to be pretty close to, to a big city and has a sort of a campus and has a sort of a classroom environment? So you're sort of testing out your hypotheses 
in a sense. And, yes. and to the contrary, you know, you could be at BU and see something totally different. You could be at UMass Amherst and see something totally different. You don't have to drive very far to be able to do all of that yeah. and, and get that experience. And I'm sure Serena will sort of dig into that in a little bit more detail. But that but that's a great way to kick things off, thinking I about that. that exercise and then exploration just in your area as well. That's wonderful. And I think you mentioned the college web, the websites of the colleges themselves can be a good resource. Are there any other good sort of online resources that you can tap into to help figure this out? Totally. There's there's a great website. It's called Big Future and it's hosted by College Board. It has really great filtering functionality, right? So if you want to say, okay, I really want to look at colleges in this area, off this size, that offer this certain major, mm-hmm. uh, you can sort of tool it in a way that's so it's producing for you colleges that match a lot of those criteria. College Navigator is another such website that kind of put thing, puts things in a, in a map, right? And it right. makes it accessible in a little bit of a different way. Um, the Fisk Guide to Colleges might not be the best place to start, but they do tend to, it's a book, um, and it goes through sort of in a narrative format, um, a summary of, of what a college is all about in a couple mm-hmm. of pages. And um, so that's another another great resource that comes to mind. As you mentioned, the college websites are fantastic. Yeah. Um, you learn a lot about the values of an institution by seeing what they are putting up front and center as well on their websites. And in addition to that, you can even go to YouTube, right, and say, a day in the life of a student at X college. And, and you'll be surprised. There's, there's, oh. there's a really nice way to sort of get an insight into life of a student on campus in a little bit of an unfiltered way by doing that sort of exploration as well. Um, but there might also be other resources available to you through your school. Mm. So it's possible, for instance, that your school has access to something called Navion, so something called SCORE, these platforms that help college counseling offices sort of stay organized with their students. Yeah. Uh, so take a look and see if that exists because there's a ton of of um, inbuilt resource around college exploration and research for through those platforms as well. That's fantastic. And as you're doing this research, what exactly should you be looking at? What should you be looking for? What do you think are the the factors that you should be considering as you're building your list? As you're building your list, you, you want to sort of go back to, again, your starting point, which was yourself, right? And and how you've seen your these factors that are important to you show up in the different mm-hmm. places that, that you're researching. But now that you're getting down to sort of the brass tacks of building the list itself, you want to get a sense of what are the bounds of this, right? So what is a good total number of colleges to apply to? Uh, we recommend aiming for between seven and 10, right? Um, we, in fact, did, did some research internally a few years ago, and we found that that for students that apply to more than 12 universities, that for every additional university that they apply to, their overall chances of admission to the colleges that they were applying to started to to table out or drop. And our hypothesis there is that they were spreading themselves a little bit too thin because while some applications can be quite similar, it does take effort and attention for pretty much every single application to ensure that you're putting your best foot forward. And that's part of the reason why we really want to limit that number. As probability works, it's not really a game with, I add another college in and therefore I'm going to improve my chances of getting in. Um, Yeah, quite the contrary, in fact, right? So 
Um, so that number, of course, and then balance on the list, particularly in terms of selectivity relative to your academic profile as a student. And um, it might also be that the major that you select might influence that sense of selectivity too, right? There are some majors at some colleges, you know, computer science and engineering are great examples that, that there might be a lot of pressure on that major. And as a result, it might be a lot more selective than the sort mm -hmm. of overall selectivity of that place. Uh, so some factors to keep in mind as well. And when we think about selectivity, we often think about, you know, folks might be familiar with the term sort of reach college, target college, safety college. Yep. We use similar language at College Coach, um, but we don't think anything is safe necessarily in college admissions, right? So, so you might right. hear us talk about reach colleges where a student's academic profile might not be as strong as a typical admitted student for that school. And we recommend that you apply to a couple of REACH schools because you should push yourself in terms of selectivity as you go through this process. But the bulk of your list, <clears throat> excuse me, three to five colleges mm -hmm. should come from what we call the possible range, which is where your academic profile tends to match that of a typical admitted student, right? Yeah. So, so that's the bulk of your list, but that was sort of the target range in other terms. Mm -hmm. And then another couple of colleges that are probable options where your likelihood of admission is pretty good, but not certain, but your academic profile is stronger than that of a typical admitted student. So that part of the equation as well as you're thinking. And then um, I'll, I'll say that there's other factors. You want to be super strategic about this as well. And, and for instance, college finance, the cost and, and um, availability of scholarship, availability of aid, should yes. be a factor. And, and, and Shannon, I'll perhaps pass it to you to, to sort of delve into that. How do you bring that into the process of building a list? Yeah, and I it, it is tricky, uh, but I would actually start by actually taking a step back and saying, before you even think about the list, and again, as you, as you mentioned, starting off with thinking about yourself and what's important to you, apply that same sort of thinking to um, the cost of college. And I would first take a look at what you're willing to pay more or pay less for and what resources you have available. Thinking about you've got savings, hopefully. Uh, what can you devote out of your cash flow on a monthly basis to college payments? Are you willing to borrow? And if so, how much? And kind of do that analysis first to get at your bottom line. And then look for colleges that meet your bottom line. And that could be in terms of their sticker price, that you can simply afford the sticker price of the college. Um, but most people don't pay full sticker price. You may qualify for need-based financial aid or merit scholarships. So those need to enter the equation. I'll tell you on college websites, they have a great tool called the Net Price Calculator that can help with calculating need-based aid eligibility. Um, you can look at an admitted student profile to see if academically you're above or below average to help figure out if merit scholarships are a possibility. But sort of in general, I think if you have that nice balanced list that you talked about in terms of probable, possible, and reach schools, if you have that kind of balance as well as a financial balance, maybe some private schools mixed in with some public schools, you tend to have your bases covered, I think, in terms of the finances, and we'll we'll end up with some good options at the end. Yeah, and yeah. and that, in a nutshell, is the process of building a list, right? And a couple of things that I would certainly recommend to keep in mind as you navigate this process. Yeah. One is there's a bunch of people here 
that have your back, right? Your friends, your family, and bring them into this process because it should be a fun process, particularly the process of researching colleges and building your list. In some senses, you're shopping around for where you're going to spend the next four years of your life, right? And, and and also, of course, your, your counseling team at your high school, yep. um, if your company happens to be a college coach company, a Bright Horizons College Coach company, yep. we, we certainly spend a lot of time supporting students with building customized college lists. So take a look into that, right, if that's part of part of what's accessible to you. Um, and, and again, going back to that critical point about trying to identify fit, right, and, yeah. and starting with yourself. and. And once you are narrowing down your list, going back to that list that you might have created months prior, those things that were important to you, now that you have some colleges in mind, rate them on a scale of one to five across all these things, that, all these criteria that you set for yourself, right? And and do a gut yeah. check in terms of, it, you know, uh, is does this college show up on my list just because of its ranking or or um, is it show up because it really truly is an excellent fit for what I want in an experience. Right. Does it match your personal rankings of what's important to you as opposed to U.S. News Report or or some other source that is not you and may not be the best place to start? Exactly right. And and yeah. and so that's that's the process again in a nutshell. And 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 hopefully you picked up some good pointers about how to go about building a college list. Definitely. And we're just about out of time before we go. Is there a next step you can point folks to once you've built that list? What's the next step? Um, get organized, right? Get a sense yeah. of the deadlines, get a sense of the expectations to complete those applications and start to map that out. We talked about trying to make the use of your summer as best as possible. Yeah. Um, perhaps now that would also be the time if it lines up towards the end of your junior year to ensure that you have recommendation letter requests out to the teachers mm. and do that too, right? So. Um, some of those other pieces, you're switching modes now, right? You've you've figured out where you want to apply, and now um, you, the rubber hits the road. You're you're starting to think about how do I make the most of the time that I have to put my best foot forward. That's perfect. That's great. I hope that's enough to get folks started. Thank you so much, Neil, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. And listeners, stick around. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, our colleague Serena will be here to help us with how to approach college visits. So stay tuned. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And I would now like to welcome my favorite colleague with a rhyming name, Serena <laughs> Frizina. I I just love saying it. I think we should have you on as a guest every week so we can introduce you, Serena. <laughs> Uh, but Serena, actually, just like Nial, is a former admissions officer at Lewis and Clark College. Serena, did you and Nial work together? We did, yes. I didn't even know that. How exciting! We have such a uh, we've got a large Lewis and Clark, and all actually all of Portland <laughs> contingent. We've got a co- quite a few former Reed admissions officers, and Lewis and Clark now I think is is catching up. Historically, it's been a competition between. Those of us who worked at um, Tufts University, like I did, and Barnard College, we had quite a contingent from those two. But you folks from Portland are really uh, uh, catching up with us now. <laughs> uh, but so glad to have you here, Serena. And Neil kind of cued us up, but we are going to be talking about college visits today. The joys of college visits, I believe, is the official <laughs> segment title. And I know I've heard you actually on a previous episode talking about your college search pro- process. And I know you enjoyed cl- lots of college visits, Serena. Did you did you visit like 100 schools when you were looking it was, for college? It was a silly amount. And we, we like <laughs> definitely compromised, like some of it was walkthroughs. We totally made yeah. a game of it. I do not recommend like <laughs> needing to visit hundreds of schools. And to clarify, I only applied to nine schools, um, but I was very sure in my decisions because I had visited tons and tons and tons of places. So that's fantastic. And I'm so glad that that is exactly in line with <laughs> Nial's recommendation of applying to seven to 10 schools. And I don't think you knew Nial then, but you absolutely followed his recommendation. So, so that's perfect. So thinking about those visits, when exactly should students and families start visiting colleges? Is, you know, is freshman year of high school too early? If you're already a senior, is it too late? When do the visits come into this process? Yeah, I think so. The gold standard, I would say, is junior year, um, sometime during junior year, probably spring of junior year into fall of senior year. That's like the six month gold standard. Yeah. However, like part of me says, don't move this earlier, like stop stressing. And yes. also, like if you're traveling to a new place, if you're visiting family across the country, freshman year of high school, it doesn't hurt to visit earlier. So mm-hmm. there's there's not really a wrong time to visit. Um, maybe you went somewhere in middle school and you're like, I loved that place. And like that stays in your mind. Yeah. Um, but I, you don't need to push it earlier. And I think there's kind of two trains of thought. Like, should I visit before I've gone through the application process or after I've gone through the application process? And I see it both ways. For me, like, I, I don't know that I could apply to school. Like, to schools without seeing a place and like having an idea of where I would be living. Yeah. On the other hand, I recently worked with a student who was like, she gets really attached to things. Like she, she described herself like this. I'm not putting that on her, but she gets really <laughs> attached. To and so she, her thought was if I go to this place and I fall in love and I'm denied, that's going to ruin me. Like I will be mm. so upset and I'll feel like yeah. I had 
had to go there and I can't. And now it's out of my hands. And she was applying to highly selective schools. So that was an option for her that she wouldn't get admitted. Yeah. So I think if you know you have some of those commitment I won't call them issues, but commitment concerns, um, then, you know, you could wait until after you've been admitted and there isn't, there isn't harm in that either. Totally. And so what you just talked about when you should visit, how about the, the why of it? What, what is the point of these visits? I'll I'll be the devil's advocate. Don't they, you know, every school they've got classrooms and a, and a student union and a gym, aren't they all kind of the same? What, what differences are you seeing when you, when you actually visit colleges? Yeah, great question. So I think early on visiting colleges is just kind of figuring out likes and dislikes. Um, It's like Mm -hmm. sitting in cars and realizing, oh my gosh, I love that this car has heated seat warmers, or I, um, you know, I really like the, the space or the sunroof or whatever it is. You're just figuring that out, kind of what you like and and don't like. Um, So visiting is kind of the, honestly, kind of a, in a way, a lazy way to do it because you don't have to do research. You don't have to sit online. You don't have to score a website to figure out what you're looking for, but you can sort of just gauge that by looking around, feeling, having feelings about where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also then can be a, you know, solidifying decision. You, you, you typically don't, again, you don't make any big decisions without experiencing something, right? Like, probably don't buy a house sight unseen or (laughs) buy a car without test driving it. Um, So that why is just having more exposure, I think. That makes a lot of sense. And what should you actually see on a college visit? Yeah, I think the campus tour is great and typically covers everything they want you to see. And I don't mean that in like a, (laughs) oh, they're hacking something, but more so just it covers everything that, that they want to highlight and that they feel is important, which I think is a really valuable, you know, if, if they're covering things that you're like, why am I looking at this? Mm-hmm. Then maybe that's not the right place for you. Yeah. Um, after the tour or before the tour, I think if there's anything that you know, any place you know you'll be spending a lot of time, obviously mm-hmm. that could be a library. Um, if you are an athlete, that could be the student athlete mm-hmm. facilities. Yeah. Um, if you just like going to the gym, even if you're not an athlete, you know, checking out the gym. And um, there may be limits to what you see. Often you're not allowed in residence halls or there's restrictions around that. And I get that that's frustrating. You want to see where you might be living. And also you have to recognize that students live there. So you're just invading somebody's space and home and that's not always appropriate. So, you know, if you can see a residence hall, great. If you have any friends or know anybody friend of a friend, relative, et cetera, that lives on the college campus, definitely poke around and see if you can walk through their residence hall. Um, labs. Um, I think coffee shops are a really cool place to visit. Oh, you're speaking my language now, Serena. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I have my coffee in hand, right. but when in doubt, I, like, yes, love it. Um, <laughs> you know, just spending a few minutes in the coffee shop, grabbing your beverage of choice, listening to conversations, eavesdropping, that's not really a, but like a all senses, listen, look, (laughs) (laughs) just gauging what people are talking and who's there. Like, are there professors there? Are there students there? Like who goes to this local coffee shop? Yeah. Um, And then not on campus, but exploring the area around the campus can be really great. Um, And asking the tour guide, like, what's your favorite restaurant close by? Or, um, you know, what do you do when you get off campus? Where do you go? That Mm. can be, I think, a good way to to gauge what what the school's all about. Totally. And that... Brings up a good point of when you ask the tour guide questions, 
should you believe them? You you mentioned, you know, they're going to show you the things they want you to see. So can you actually trust the information that you receive on, on a college visit or are they going to make things try to sound better than they actually are? <laughs> That's a great question. And um, so I, a little bit of background in my 10 years or so at Lewis and Clark, I um I trained our tour guides. I was a tour guide and then I trained our tour guides and managed the visit program. Um, and there's definitely a balance between training tour guides to talk about things that are important and that you need to have covered for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like they don't always understand that parents might want to hear about some aspect of the experience. Um, so there is some level of, hey, you all need to talk about this. But most tour guides aren't scripted. They are authentic Yes, they are the most enthusiastic. Um, It's kind of like reviews, like Yelp reviews. You know, you see the best and the worst. Tour guides are like, they they love the school. They love the experience. It's probably not just a work-study job. But I also think that when a tour guide says something that you disagree with, they probably don't think they're saying something bad. So, for example, Mm -hmm. if the tour guide says it's super competitive here, they think that's a good thing. Obviously, you can tell by my tone of voice, I disagree, um, <laughs> but they like the competition at that school. And that might be a deciding factor for you. Yeah. Like, well, that's great. And I visited plenty of places where they like totally were thrilled about how competitive and how selective the school was. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it drives me to work harder. And like, for me, that's horrible. Like, And then I'd go on tours where they talk about like how collaborative and everybody loves each other. And it's great. That's what I wanted. Um, My best friend's the opposite. She like, she's all about the competition. Mm -hmm. So like for her, the collaborative schools were like, Oh, gross. So like, (laughs) I think, I think even if it sounds, yes, they are more positive than every single student experience. And also the things that they highlight are things that they genuinely think are good things. So I think you can take those with authenticity and there's also no point in lying like then you're going to transfer out and that doesn't do <laughs> right cool. so like they they don't there's no push to get you to go to that school it is here's our experience take it or leave it um so yes you can trust your tour guide completely yeah and i will say the one um thing you know money is my specialty the co- the college mm-hmm. finance and the one thing i will say to take with a little bit of a grain of salt because I hear it all the time from from families is, well, they told me when I visited this college that they have plenty of financial aid and I didn't have to worry about it. And it's likely accurate that they had got plenty of financial aid, but they don't know at that point when you're visiting what your financial circumstances are, that you are the one that's going to receive the financial aid. So that's something you just have to be a little bit careful of. Every college does have financial aid, but they don't know your circumstances and if you are going to, how much of it you're going to receive, nor how much you need to attend that school. And that's a great point. It is never appropriate to ask a student tour guide about their financial aid, merit, need-based, nothing. Like not, you can talk about politics with them. I don't care about that. (laughs) Money, like money is off the table. Like, because as Shannon said, like, it's so different for every student. And it's, awkward like there's this adult typically it's a different asking this like 18 year old kid what's your financial aid pack like just don't do that because you're going to get the wrong information not not because they're giving the wrong but just as you pointed out so no financial person yeah talk to the financial aid office if you have questions they're happy to answer it don't talk to the 18 year old tour guide 
I think that's a good rule of thumb. (laughs) Now, actually, speaking of money, money might be one reason why you can't actually visit a college. And there could be scheduling reasons, all sorts of reasons why you might not actually be able to make a visit to campus, especially if you're looking at colleges or thinking about colleges that are far away from your home. Are there alternatives to doing an actual on-campus formal college visit with the info session and the tour? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there are a few ways to think about this. So the like not visiting at all option. I mean, the one of the great things that came from COVID are virtual visits. Um, there's something called you visit on a lot of campuses where basically this team came in and did like 360 cameras. A lot of campuses are using that now. Um, so whether it's run by their admissions office or kind of farmed out, but still approved by their admissions office, mm-hmm. those virtual tours. And those are on the websites. In fact, I just signed up for, we'll be in Boston in a few weeks. And um, so I just signed up for some tours and you, like it says, hey, you're signing up for an in-person. If you want a virtual, here's the link. So on their visit pages, yes. usually virtual. Um, I hate this, but social media, often they do <laughs> like their own student-led tours or like student takeover, yeah. here's my dorm. That can be a really great way to visit. Um, Just talking with an admissions counselor, calling. They might come to your school, talking with them there. Those can Mm -hmm. be great options. Um, In terms of visiting but not formal visits, I think some creative ways to explore campuses are through sort of natural, like go to a sporting event or go see a performance, a play, a musical. Mm -hmm. Um, Go, like if you have a, a soccer game, on a college campus, like walk around afterwards yeah. and just check it out. Um, so um, just wandering campuses, I think there's some benefit to that as well. Completely. Yeah. Um, and what about for our seniors out there specifically, um, what do you think is the, we kind of talked about when the best time to visit is, but if you're a senior, should you be taking one of the Um, sort of regular info session campus tour visits? Or at this point, should you be waiting till like an accepted student day? Are there differences between those two types of visits and which is better? I would find the itineraries for both. You can usually reach Mm -hmm. out or check online to see if they have them posted. They're different, right? So one is a campus tour. You might be able to visit a class on that traditional visit day information session. They may have specific tours for seniors. Um, An admitted student day, it's probably going to be tons and tons and tons of people, which is neither good nor bad, just fact. You'll be surrounded by a lot of people. You may get to meet meet other admitted students, and that can be really exciting. You may get to do sit-in on a class or a mock class or something like that, but it's probably going to be different than the opportunities offered on a day-to-day. So I think the timing of it might make a difference and also um, just what your personal preferences are. But check those itineraries and see Mm -hmm. what's different. You probably don't need to do both, but you might have different opportunities. Totally. And those accepted student days, I feel like they're fun because this is the point where you've tried to kind of woo the college with your application. Now they're trying to woo you to get you to visit. So they're pulling out all the stops for you on those visits. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now, practically speaking, how do you actually schedule a college visit? Great question. Um, Usually on their website. So typically go to the admissions page. There's usually a like, visit now. I definitely Mm -hmm. recommend scheduling. One, you want to get that visit tracked so that they can um, take that into consideration if that's something that they track during the admissions process Mm -hmm. and can be beneficial to you. Um, And also that way, if they have restrictions on visits, you're not missing out on like 
you don't show up and expect a tour and not have one. So just make sure you schedule that visit on their website. Definitely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned making sure you've got it officially on the schedule. They might track it and that could be beneficial to you in the admissions process. Can you talk a little bit more about that and can a visit actually help your uh, chances of admission? Yeah, so some schools do track demonstrated interest and a visit can be the best way to demonstrate your interest. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think the short answer is that a visit is never going to hurt you. Even if they don't track interest, you are now a more informed buyer. Um, Like I hate to use that Mm -hmm. term, but you're, you're making a more informed decision. You're making a more confident decision. You're going to write a better supplement essay um, on what you experienced on that college campus. Again, I go back to like, you would never buy a house or a car without having some level of experience with it. Um, So there can be, it it can give you some um, points, so to speak, um, in the application process, but realistically, it's never going to hurt you. And if you live close by to a college campus, I expect that you would visit. If you're far away, do what you can to engage, um, but visiting is never going to hurt. For sure. And I personally, as the money person, I love (laughs) that you refer to the students and the families as the buyers and being an informed buyer and doing whatever you can, whether it's an on-campus visit or a virtual visit to get more informed, I think is the best way to approach this process altogether. So thank you so much for all of your tips, Serena. I hope everybody gets out there, get on the road or get on your computer, do those visits. Because, you know, I think sometimes we get wrapped up in sort of the stressful parts of the college application process. This part is fun, right? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Well, safe travels, everyone. Enjoy your visits. And thanks so much for having me, Shannon. Oh, thank you, Serena. Uh, And folks, please stick around through the break. We will be right back and we will be talking about the FAFSA rollout, one of my favorite topics. So stay tuned. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. 
To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, folks. We are now going to talk about something that's been a huge topic of conversation, certainly here at Bright Horizons College Coach, as well as you know the larger world of higher education in the past few weeks, and that is the rollout of the brand new and improved question mark, <laughs> FAFSA. Um, and to help with this discussion, I'm super excited to welcome for her very first appearance on Getting In, my colleague, Jess Mosley. Welcome, Jess. Hi, thanks, Shan. Oh, you're so welcome. We're so glad to have you here on the podcast and also just, you know, here at College yes, Coach. Happy you, to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're so glad to have you. You are one of our, our newer team members here at College Coach, but you're certainly not new to the world of financial aid. Um, listeners, Jess has been in, in aid for a long time at Concordia University, Reed College, part of that Portland contingent. I was just talking to Serena from, from Lewis and Clark about our large Portland contingent and, and also most recently University of Chicago. So you have dealt with the FAFSA a lot, right, Jess? Yes, that is correct. Yes, but now we have a brand new FAFSA. So could you first give us kind of a brief rundown of what's gone on with the FAFSA? If you, our regular listeners probably know, but if you're just tuning in for the first time, what what's unusual about this year and the FAFSA? Sure, yeah. So a few years ago, um, Congress decided they wanted to simplify some of the aspects of the FAFSA. So they um, decided to implement that this year, um, and it has delayed the timeline of the FAFSA. So usually the FAFSA comes out on October 1st every year, um, but this year they decided that it, they needed a little more time, so they delayed that to December is what they've initially said. <laughs> and then it became December 31st was the day it would come out by. Um, there was a soft launch a couple days before that where we saw that they had released it and were monitoring it. And then it did technically get released on December 31st, but was only available for about 30 minutes at a time that day, mm -hmm. um, moving forward to an hour a day or so moving after that. And then eventually to about 12 hours a day. Um, as of Monday, the Department of Education announced that it was now available for 24 hours a day, um, even though on the website where the launch page is, it does still say that it's available for short periods of time. They did announce Monday it was available 24 hours a day. That's fantastic. So the rollout has, I guess we can say, has been sort of slower than what people sure. hoped for, perhaps? Yeah, a, a bit fraught, I think, is kind of the <laughs> terminology I would use, yeah. is that it's not necessarily, they, you know, um, been as seamless as they were hoping for. I think a lot of parents were hoping that it was going to come out on December 1st, and uh, families that we've spoken with were shocked to find out that it wasn't out that day. Um, and so, but now it seems like it's moving a little bit more smoothly since it's out more regularly and families can go in and submit. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. So for the families that have submitted the form, mm -hmm. are there any issues that they've been facing? Have there been confusing parts of, of this new FAFSA? Yeah, there definitely have been a few things that have kind of taken families um, a bit time, a bit of time to figure out. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the most concerning aspects is when the student is doing their portion, they come upon a section after their dependency status has been determined. And so the top of the page will say your dependency status. And if it says dependent, it will then ask a question to the student if they want to apply for direct unsubsidized loans only. That question has confused students and families because it essentially asks if your parent is unwilling to fill this out, will, you know, do, do you believe that is the case? And so then it sounds like you should be answering yes, when actually if your parent is willing to fill it out, you should say no. Um, so that I think is the most confusing part to a lot of families yeah. and even to a lot of administrators who have had to read it multiple times to figure out how they should be answering that question. So when you come upon that part, make sure you're reading carefully. Um, If you are a family where your parents will be helping you fill out the form, you should say yes, or sorry, (laughs) you should say no to (laughs) that question specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would totally agree. When I saw that question, I, knowing exactly what to expect, I still had to read it through three or four times to figure out, am I supposed to say yes or no? There's like a double negative in the question. I think Mm -hmm. they maybe should have employed some more technical writers over there at the Department of Education because just the way the question is phrased is confusing. So just make sure you're reading that carefully. Um, And just to make the point to families don't say my parent is unwilling to fill it out um, sort of just for kicks because they don't want to fill it out because that will limit in an extreme way what kind of financial aid you can receive only unsubsidized loans no better subsidized loans no Pell grants um, in most cases no institutional aid from a college if you are considered a dependent student, which most kind of sort of traditional 18-year-old students are. Um, so just mm-hmm. make sure that you're answering that that question carefully. Are there any other confusing issues that folks have run into, Jess? Yeah, I think one of the other confusing things is that when parents are completing it, um, the transfer from the IRS happens automatically. You don't actually see the information. And so I think that that has confused some families because they're not able to review what's listed on their tax return based on what transferred from the IRS. So that happens all on the background. And um, another confusing part of that is if your income is below a certain level, you will mm-hmm. not even need to fill out asset information. And that level is below 60000 and you don't have to have certain schedules. So there's all sorts of criteria for it. But I've talked to a couple of different parents who have been confused because it skips the asset questions altogether mm-hmm. and just moves straight to the end, basically. So um, I think that those pieces, you know, it, it's different than what it's been in years past where you actually get to see some of the information or you log into the IRS um, so now that it transfers automatically, it happens pretty quickly, quite frankly. And that's just a little confusing for people. It really does. And uh, to be perfectly honest, it confused me when I filled out the right. form. I said, wait, I'm at the end already. I, mm-hmm. Even though I should have known better, I was expecting to see something, some indication, clicking a button. We've now pulled your um, your income tax information over and it's all completely seamless behind the scenes. Where so that the form almost seems too easy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I think another issue that uh, families have been facing that can be a little bit confusing is the way school selection works as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to fill out the state first, and then you can select the school based on the state, or you can fill out more like about the city and what the name of the school is. But once you select the school, it will say one of 20 schools selected, and then that school will go away. You won't see it until you add another school. So I think that that can sometimes confuse students. They'll say, well, what happened to the last one I selected? Then when you add another school, it will then say two of 20 schools selected. Um, So just making sure that you're aware that it is happening in the background. And then once you get to the review screen, you will be able to see all of the schools you selected for that. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Any other issues? I think that those ones? are kind of the big ones yeah. that I've noticed. Um, yeah. You know, there definitely are some confusing points with, uh, you know, they'll ask you to put in both of your parent information as a student, even though only one parent is filling it out. Yeah. Um, you do not have to s- submit a second parent in that situation. You can just put the one that the parent is going to fill out. Fill it out. I did test that with a student the other day. Mm where they did not want to put the uh, second parent, they didn't want to put his contact information. So we skipped it and it just allowed us to do so. Um, So they just wanted to put in the parent's information who would be filling out the form. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Now, considering sort of the slow rollout um, and and some of these issues, should, if you've been waiting to fill out the FAFSA, is now the time to do it? And I should probably clarify, we're taping this segment (laughs) on January 10th. Our listeners will hear it for the first time on January 18th. So if you're a senior in high school and have not filled out the FAFSA yet, it's January 18th is now the time? I would say now is a safe time to go ahead and do it since it is now available 24 hours a day. Um, Many of our uh, clients that have been doing the um, FAFSA as well as people on our team who have completed it have said once you get in, it's pretty seamless from there. You're able to complete it in one fell swoop. So you shouldn't have to worry about that. So yes, I think that now would be a good time to go ahead and take a shot and fill it out. That's perfect. Um, and for folks who who haven't started yet, but they're, they're taking your advice. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do it now. Is, is there anything that folks should be doing in advance of trying to log into that form um, to prepare for filling out the FAFSA? What should you do up front? Sure. Great question. So first, I definitely have your federal student aid ID set up um, and you'll need those separately for the student and the parent that's going to fill out the form. So usually it only takes a few minutes to get that set up. But if there's something with an issue on the verification side, it could take a couple of days to actually get that settled. So mm-hmm. doing that ahead of time is a good idea before you're ready to settle down and complete the FAFSA itself. Um, and then the other thing that would be really important to do if your parents are, your, and I should say your biological or adopted parents are divorced, you should mm-hmm. also determine which of those parents should be required to fill out the form with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way to do that is to know which parent provided the most um, financial support in the past 12 months. Yes. And that is a change from in prior years when I, I feel like it was they've done a lot of things to simplify the FAFSA, which is fantastic. <laughs> this is one where I feel like it's not as simple as it used right. to be. They used to ask you for the information for the parent who you lived with the majority of the time. And while certainly there are parents who have joint custody, I feel like most of the time 
you could identify the parent that you've lived with the most. The parent who provides more financial support is, I feel, a little bit trickier mm-hmm. for families to to ascertain that that number. Yeah, uh, or correct. which parent that is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important, yeah, that you figure out which parent that is ahead of time. So there's not confusion, especially on the student's part, since technically they are supposed to start the application, quote unquote, on their own. Uh, so <laughs> doing that to make sure that they know when they complete their portion, which parent they're submitting to have that information sent to as a contributor on the FAFSA. Yes. And and that that's actually a good point that the student and the parent processes are sort of technologically completely separate. <laughs> One party logs in, the student uh, logs in, gets the FAFSA started, submits mm-hmm. their information and tells them, tell the um, the feds, the email address of the parent, the mm-hmm. parent is emailed separately to go fill out their portion of the application. Um, so you do have to have those two separate logins and complete the processes Theoretically, right. Separate. Yeah, you can and be yes, sitting next yes, to each other. Are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Theoretically separate. Um, if your student is doing it on their own and they want to finish their portion on their own, they will need parent social security numbers if they yes. are a dependent student. So they won't be able to complete it on their own unless they have that parent social security number. So it is a good idea maybe to have your student sit side by side. Then you'll see the email come in once they add you as a contributor. Um, so that way you'll know that you're ready to fill out your portion when it's time for you to use your section. That's perfect. Now, what if you get in there and let's say, for example, you're the student and you you get it, you start filling it out. You realize you don't have your parent's social security number. You're missing some piece of information. You want to double check on something. Is all right. progress lost or do you have to submit it once you've started or is there a way to save? So there is, it is auto saving as you go along, you can leave the screen, you can log out, log back in, everything will be saved. There is a small save button at the top as well, just to kind of give you peace of mind. But um, as far as we know, the information does auto save. So if you were missing something you needed, you will be able to log out and log back in later. That's perfect. And now what if you have submitted the FAFSA and then you realize you made a mistake somewhere on it, or potentially you need to add another school. Can you do that? Yes. As of this moment, no, you cannot today. (laughs) But once your FAFSA processes, and our understanding is this should be at the beginning of February, you will be able to be logged back in and make corrections or add schools as needed. Um, Typically, in a typical year, it's a three to five processing window, three Mm -hmm. to five day processing window. Um, But... Um, as of right now, you'll just have to wait until February, and then you should receive a notification saying that your FAFSA has been processed, and you should be able to go in and make changes. That's perfect, Jess. And we are totally out of time. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, listeners, for joining. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance, and we do appreciate your feedback. And I'd also love for you to join us next week when we're going to be discussing student research projects. Uh, as well as sports, the athletic recruitment process and athletic scholarships, all of that fun stuff. So do tune in next week. Uh, And remember, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit getintocollege.com.